you hadn't noticed the temperature outside, it is summertime, so welcome to the summer. And, uh, it's also a vacation season. I haven't had a vacation yet, but have one coming up. But also took one about two months ago. It, uh, it was a great time. There's some buddies of mine that I hang out with quite often around here, known as the Campus Shepherd Team, which you just heard a little bit about. And they're good guys, and uh, so every once in a while we like to get away, have some fun together, and usually that involves being around some type of body of water, uh, catching some type of fish. And my parents live in East Texas on Toledo Bend Lake, and uh, it's a great time if you're wondering who won the fishing competition. I did, as always, problem solved. Uh, but it was great. It was like, hey, a great place to hang out together. Uh, and then also, it was like, hey, fun to introduce these guys to my parents. And so we went down there, we stayed with them for about three days and it was an amazing time. It was a great trip. But I, I realized on the last day of the trip that I made one mistake. And that one mistake was to trust the man that I thought was my friend. And his name is Graham Robbins. And he's sitting right there. And uh, so just let me tell you what happened right here. And so what well, the mistake that I made was, is I let Graham stay in the guest bedroom, which is upstairs in my parents' house. When you're at my parents' house and you uh, go up the stairwell, that entire wall of the stairwell is plastered with pictures of me and my two brothers' childhood, right? Like everywhere, all the way from little bitty kid to, you know, the uh, high school senior portraits, which you, when you're wondering, what was I thinking when I took that picture? They were all there, and then he goes and he's staying in the room that my wife Lindsay and I usually stay in. And, uh, and so what happens is on the last morning, we're getting ready to leave, and Graham comes up to me with a smile on his face that I can only describe as pure evil. <laughs> and he puts his arm around me and he holds up his phone and he starts scrolling through all of my childhood photos that he has captured. And he is mischievously planning to leak out over the course of time to all of you whenever he sees fit in order to get a leg up on me. And so as not to give my brother any pleasure in doing so, I'm just going to go ahead and show you the photos. <laughs> and, and so, but let me warn you, okay, you may not believe it by looking at me now, but I may have been the cutest little kid that you've ever seen in your entire life. You be the judge of it. So I'm going to show you a few of these. The first one um, I like to call um, in the garden. So take a look at this right here. Look at that guy. <laughs> and uh, so side note, my daughter is two and a half years old and uh, the resemblance is uh, striking. So pray for her. This is hopefully didn't go this direction, but uh, you know, and so anyway, uh, that was the first one. Another one I want to show you, I like to call uh, T-Man in the tank top. Boom. There it is. Get a load of that. I don't know, like this was like a year later and we still had the same background, like at JCPenney's where we went and took these or something. So things have changed since then. Uh, and then one more that I'll show you, I like to call uh, the uh, crayon cool guy. So you'll see this one there. Look at that. I'm telling you, cuteness overload. It's so funny. And uh, there'll be a few more that you'll see here in just a little bit. Uh, but what those pictures don't show you is, and all that cuteness is, uh, is that I, was, uh, I had a crazy problem. And, and I literally mean um, a crazy problem. And what you can't tell from those photos is from a very young age, a very young age, I had a temper that was out of this world. And any time something did not go my way or I felt offended or was insecure about something, the way that I would deal with the conflict when it crept in my life was just through aggression. I would just blow up. 
And that was, that was how I dealt with anything. And so as I began to get older, um, the cuteness wore off and the crazy showed a little bit stronger, both in how I behaved and also in my photos. And so I'll show you the next picture. This was probably around fifth grade, and I call this one the crazy cardinal. And uh, so you can see this one here. Look at there. What happened? What happened? But uh, when I was on this team playing Little League Baseball, I, had a, uh, I got a sticker, and it was a No Fear sticker. If you were a child of the 80s, you remember all the No Fear t-shirts with the slogans and everything? And, uh, and so one of them uh, I got because I thought it was just funny, but it really was tragic because it really described um, how I dealt with people. And it had a pair of like angry-looking eyes, and it said, Does not play well um, with others. And I put that on my baseball helmet. I thought it was funny. But what wasn't funny is as I continued to grow up, I continued to be um, no longer a kid, but now, now a teenager who didn't know how to deal with conflict, who dealt with it through anger and was constantly um, terrorizing all the relationships that were present in my life. And so you can see a couple more as it happens. I'll show you my uh, seventh grade football photo. Look at that guy. That was back in the days when you had it long on top with the undercut on the side. You remember that? And then uh, freshman football year. Just continued to, the craziness showed through and the, what you see on my face was really the, my attitude all the time is I just didn't do it well with people. And then one that doesn't really maybe relate to all this because I don't want Graham to send it out, I'm going to go ahead and show you, is one of my high school senior photos. <laughs> hey, it ain't easy to get that hair to look that good. That was like half a bottle of gel right there. But, uh, you know, I, I went from being a high school kid you know, a, a little kid who didn't know how to deal with conflict, to being a teenager, to being in college, still not knowing how to handle it well, to being a young adult. And uh, there was a moment when I was 25 years old that, that I remember very, very clearly uh, because it was a defining statement of what the, the state of my life was at that time. And I was managing a health club and had, you know, about 50 employees or so that, that I oversaw. And uh, one thing was certain, I could get the job done as it related to producing outcomes, but I could not get the job done as it related to healthy relationships. And I had an employee walk into my office and look me square in the eyes, and she said, Tyler, you are the most unapproachable person I've ever met in my entire life. And it was a sobering moment for me. As I looked back, and what that moment caused me to do is take an inventory of the relationships that existed in my life at that time. And as I looked around, I mean, just from what I was doing as a vocation at the time, I had, I had hundreds of acquaintances. But I did not have a single, not a single quality, healthy relationship that existed in my life for more than a year as I look back. And it all came down to my inability to handle conflict well. My pride got in the way. My insecurity got in the way. Fill in the blank. I did not know how to handle conflict when it came into my life, and it destroyed relationships around me. And here's why I tell you that this morning, because uh, if we're honest, every single one of us has a little bit of crazy. None of us are perfect, and all of us have pride and insecurities that, that drive us. And when it comes to conflict, depending on how we deal with those pride and insecurities, depending on how we view conflict, will determine the health of our relationships, whether or not we have relationships in our life that are thriving, that are healthy, and we're a blessing to others and giving life to them, or if we don't know how to do it well, we are a burden, and we suck the life out of people because we're just a pain. And we respond with anger, and 
Conflict we see as an opportunity to take control, and so we deal with it with force, or we just see it as something that we don't want to deal with at all, and so we run. And in both cases, unity and peace do not exist. And not only that, and how it affects us as individuals, it affects us as a church. And if we don't know how to have a right perspective on the opportunity that conflict presents, and if we don't know how to respond to it well, it will be the one thing that causes the world to look at us and to look at our God and to look at the gospel and say, what a joke. You guys say that there's this good God who comes in forgive you and brings about unity and peace, but yet you can't even get along. Why would I come? Why would I listen to you? Why would I listen to the message of the gospel? It has no change in your life. You look no different than anybody else that I know. Your relationships are no healthier than anybody else that I know. And sometimes they look worse. And bitterness and strife and dissension divides us. And it leads to a church that is unappealing and ineffective if we don't know how to handle conflict well. But at the same time, if we do, if we have a right perspective on conflict, if we know how to deal with it biblically, then it will be the single greatest opportunity that we have to live out the gospel in such a way that makes people want to know, who is this God that we claim to know and that we have a relationship with? It will be the single greatest thing to bring about health in your marriage, to increase your ability to be a blessing to people in your workplace and our opportunity to be a witness uh, for God in the kingdom and to come alongside people to serve them, to help them grow to more reflect the character of Christ in their own life. And because of this, I feel like, we feel like it is imperative that we spend time specifically diving in to this issue, talking about conflict. And so for the next three weeks, um, we're going to be talking about conflict. This week, we're going to talk specifically about what is a right perspective on conflict and how do we respond to that opportunity. In the next two weeks, we're going to dive into the, the details, into the weeds of when you find yourself in conflict, what do you actually do? How would God's word inform how we respond um, as we seek to seek peace and make peace um, with those that are around us instead of tolerating one another, faking peace so that we don't have to do the hard work or just blowing relationships up um, because of our own pride and insecurities. And so this week, specifically, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at how conflict is our constant opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow ourselves. To, to glorify God to serve others, and to grow ourselves. And so I want to start with this. Uh, the common perception of conflict is that it's bad. Right? Conflict can't be good. Conflict is bad. It's hard. There's hurt feelings involved. It's many times, many, many times the outcome of sin that's present. Conflict in and of itself is not sin, but it can be the result of sin, and it's just bad, and so we either blow it up or we avoid it. But I want to tell you, that is a misconception about what conflict is. You see, conflict is, is, is morally neutral. It is not good or bad in and of itself. Conflict, what you need to know is conflict is merely an opportunity. An opportunity, and how you respond to it will either determine um, if you are going to be a blessing to other people and be life-giving to them in a such a way that glorifies God and attracts people to the gospel, or you're going to be a burden to others, and you're going you're to take life from people, and you're, you're not going to be someone that people want to spend time with, and it's going to be a life that's in direct contradiction to the, to the gospel. And so conflict is not bad. Conflict is normal. Okay, look, none of us are perfect. 
And so as such, we're going to do this thing called life, and every once in a while we're going to step on each other's toes or in small ways and in big ways. Uh, but con- so conflict is going to be here. And so we can either say, okay, how do we really deal with this in such a way that we're fighting for peace and unity? Or we can just throw in the towel and never experience that life that Jesus came for us to experience. And so the first point this morning as we look at this is that conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. So how is conflict an opportunity to glorify God? We're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We're going to be bouncing around all over the place, but we'll dive in here first. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church, to those who have received the message of the gospel. And this is what he says. He tells them, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So he says, hey, be imitators of God. As those who claim to know God, be imitators of him. And so you have to step back and ask yourself the question, when it comes to conflict, what did God do that we are supposed to imitate? Well, it starts here. Okay, When we sin, when we sinned, it created a separation between us and God. And God did not leave that separation there. It was 100% our own doing. God did nothing wrong, but yet we wronged him in uh, an uncountable number of ways. But yet what he decided to do was not brush us off, was not leave us where we are, but he decided to initiate and to engage in the reconciling of our relationship with him, to repair it, to mend it, to bring it back together. And how he did that is he took the responsibility fully upon himself to come and to die, to show us that we're loved, to show us that he will do anything for us to show that that we can be forgiven. And then he gives us the opportunity to respond to that and be reconciled back into a relationship with him. He did everything to pursue the restoration of our relationship with him, to deal with the conflict himself. And so because of that, there's things that sometimes that we'll say when we're in conflict with people that you've never heard Jesus say before. But we'll say either literally from our mouth or we'll say with the attitude of our heart. And here's what those things are that we say that Jesus never would. Um, Hey, I'll forgive them once they clean themselves up. I'll choose to go and deal with that conflict and resolve this issue with them whenever they get their their stuff straight. That's when I'll go. That can be our attitude at times. It's never the attitude of Christ towards us. The second thing that you would never hear say is, uh, hey, I'm not willing to go to them. I'll, I'll work this thing out, but by golly, they better come to me. And when they choose to humble themselves and come to me, then I'll go to them. Scripture says that there is no one who does good that there is none who seek God. And if, if this was God's attitude towards us, we would all be up a creek without a paddle. We'd be left in our sin. We'd be left with a division. But God didn't wait for us. He came to us. And therefore, when we say to somebody or we have the attitude in our heart that, hey, I'll work on this whenever they choose to come to me is a contradiction to the gospel. And then the other thing that you would never hear Jesus say is, hey, that's too much to ask of me in order to pursue reconciling this relationship. Hey, I'm willing to do some things, but I'm not willing to do that in order to see this marriage be restored, in order to see 
my relationship with somebody who used to be my best friend brought back together. I'm, I'll do some things, but I'm not willing to do that. That's too much. And if that was Jesus' attitude towards us, towards you, there would be no way of salvation. There would be no offer of forgiveness. And so because of that, the words, I am not willing to forgive that person, or hey, I am not willing to reconcile with that person, those words are found nowhere in the Christian vocabulary. Those words have absolutely no place in our life. And when they do, what we're telling people is, hey, God's not that good. He doesn't really make that big of a difference. He, and he's not powerful enough, powerful enough to do this. He's not powerful enough to change my life. But yet when we choose instead to acknowledge, hey, those attitudes and actions may exist in our life, but I'm, I'm going to deal with them and, and look at this in such a way that I am one who has received grace and therefore I can extend grace. I have received forgiveness and therefore I can extend forgiveness no matter what. Then it makes the world stop and consider, who is this Jesus? How were you able to do that? To make that point, a couple of months ago, uh, I got a message from someone that I care about very, very deeply. And I got this message from him, and it simply said, Hey, uh, I just found out from a letter that was put in my mailbox uh, that my husband is in the middle of a, of a three-year affair. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart. But at the same time, there was another part of the message that gave me a lot of hope. And it was when she responded and she said, hey, everybody around me is telling me just to kick him to the curb, divorce him, be, be done with it. And she says, if I'm honest, like my, I, I feel the desire to do that, but also I just want to know how would God have me respond here? And that gave me hope. And so what we did then is I went and we met up and we opened up God's word. And I said, look, I don't, I don't want to tell you anything. I want, I want you to hear directly from God through his word what, how he would have you respond in this situation. And so we went to passages like Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And we read this verse together and then we talked about it. And it says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I just said, hey, what, as you look at this passage, what are the descriptors that God uses to identify us, our state, when he came to chosen to forgive us? Helpless, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. And it was when we were in this position of being hostile towards God, of not deserving any grace whatsoever, that he still chose to come to us and to forgive us, to come to you and to forgive you. And so to live a life where you are unwilling in any relationship to forgive or to reconcile is a life that has lived in direct contradiction to the gospel. And it makes God look not appealing at all to a watching world. It makes us ineffective 
as a church, and it keeps us in a place where our relationships are disunified and destroyed. But the good news is, is that when we choose to respond that way and, and respond in such a way like she did where she said, you know what, he doesn't deserve forgiveness, but I'm going to forgive him. And not only that, but he's chosen to thankfully, humbly walk in repentance. They're making an effort to restore their marriage and assets. The very same people who are telling her, you should just go get a divorce, you should just punt him out, are saying, hey, what's going on here? Like, how do you have the strength and the ability to forgive this way. And she is given the opportunity to say, hey, let me tell you, strength doesn't come from me. The strength comes from Christ. And I am one who knows that I am not perfect, but I have a perfect Savior who loves me and who forgives me. And because of that, I am able, through the power of Christ, to forgive others and move towards reconciling any relationship. I want you to know this morning, there is no relationship too far gone for Jesus Christ to restore And what he's asking you is to do your part. You can't control how the other person responds, but you can control whether or not you choose to move towards them with an attitude to reflect the gospel, to glorify God by living out the gospel and extending forgiveness where it doesn't make sense to do so. And then trusting God with the other person and the restoration um, of that relationship. And so conflict, when we live this way, when we, for, when we live in such a way and forgive people in such a way and pursue reconciliation in such a way that it reflects the message of the gospel, it gives us an opportunity to point to Jesus and to glorify him. So conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. The second thing that it's an opportunity to do um, is, is to serve others. And so how do we do that? We serve others in two ways. We serve others by removing burdens that they might be carrying um, and then also by lovingly pointing out blind spots. And so I'm going to need a little help with this point. So uh, Fred, come on up here. Let me give you, help me out just a little bit. Everybody welcome Fred as he comes on up. So as you look at uh, Fred, you can immediately tell that he's never worked out for a day in his entire life. But how are you? Go ahead and pick these up. Just hold them there. And so give me just one second. I'll get right back to you. All right. And so uh, uh, anytime that... Uh, my wife and I get in conflict. I know it's hard to believe, but yes, we do get in conflict. Anytime, but anytime we get in conflict, say something happens in the morning and our interaction just didn't go well, and I leave the house and that's unresolved, um, I just can't function very well. I mean, I literally feel an emotional weight that, hey, there is a division in a relationship in my life that exists, and, and I do not do well. It affects every other relationship that I have. There is a burden that I carry. And uh, similar to the fact that, you know, we've got some weights here, and there, there's a, the strongest man I probably know up here on stage, and it should be easy for him to carry these little bitty old weights, right? It's easy, right, Fred? Right there. Now hold them out. Actually, hold them up. Try to carry this burden out. Okay, there we go. I'll be right back to you in a minute. <laughs> and so uh, here's what it means. Whenever we see another brother or sister in, in Christ carrying a burden, Scripture tells us to do something about it. It tells us to come alongside them in a way that, that's, a, that's helping to them. Specifically in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any trespass, or if anyone is caught in a conflict or in a sin pattern that's producing conflict in their life, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So with the right attitude. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so here's what it's saying is that, hey, there is no burden that any person is able to carry on their own. It doesn't matter how strong you are. 
you are not going to be able to carry a burden indefinitely. Some of you may be able to carry it longer than others. Yeah. He can carry it longer than me, which is why I have him holding it. But you can't carry it forever. And so whenever you see someone who's struggling in a burden, the most loving thing to do is not for me to keep teaching through my third point and let Fred struggle. The most loving thing that I can do is say, hey, man, let me, let me help you with this. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, Fred. Well, thanks, Fred. Hey, let me, let me help you with this. And there's a number of ways in which we can come along somebody who's trying to bear a burden on their own. We can't, we can't fully um, take on that burden on ourselves, but we can help them with it so they can get to a point where they are set free from it, be, a, be it a sin that exists in their life that's a key contributor to conflict or just a conflict that maybe they only had a small part in, but it's, it is weighing on them. And now when Fred's up here holding dumbbells out, uh, it's pretty easy to see when he starts to struggle. And we could think, well, maybe it's not as hard to see when someone's bearing the burden of conflict, but, but it really is. Like, we all think we do a good job of faking it. We don't. Like, it affects us. And when we see a sister or we see a brother bearing this burden of unresolved conflict in their life, the most loving thing that we can do is move in and put an arm around them and say, hey, tell me about what's going on. Hey, how can I help you? And you may either be doing this, um, coming alongside them as an observer of conflict that exists in their life, or maybe you're a participant in the actual conflict. But you know that, hey, something's not as it should be. And the way that we can help remove burdens for one another and come alongside to serve each other is when something's not right. Like whenever, um, this is, would be a real life example, is whenever Lindsay and I have an interaction in the morning and I'm trying to get out the door and... Um, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I am short and harsh and unkind and invalidating in my communication with her. The number one way, like how we serve each other in that moment is one first acknowledging, hey, that conflict exists. And then when we engage back in a conversation and I serve Lindsay from the woundedness that she feels but when I come and very specifically say, hey, the way that I talked to you this morning was harsh, was insensitive, was impatient and ungodly. Will you forgive me? And I acknowledge the wound that I've caused. It goes a long way in serving my wife. And in the same way, when she turns back around and says, hey, you are sorry for doing that, uh, but I forgive you. And she releases me and frees me from this debt of this wrong that I've incurred against her. We are serving one another. And then, so that's if I'm a participant in it. Another way that it could play out is if I see a friend in conflict or even maybe someone comes to me and they start sharing with me about a conflict that exists in their life. Uh, the number one question that I'm going to ask them is, well, have you told them? Have you told them how you're hurt? Have you, have you told them how you felt wronged? Or have you told them that you are sorrowful for what you've done? And almost always, the answer is no. And so I said, well, let me stop you right there. Because here's the deal. We don't want to gossip. We don't want to spread this room. We want to deal with the conflict that exists right here so it doesn't become a big conflict here. So we do, we do something around here called the 24-hour rule, which is simply this. If someone comes to me and shares with me something about someone else and I ask them, have they told them? And they said no. I said, well, look, I'll give you 24 hours to go to that person to share with them what you have shared with me because I care about you 
and I care about them. And I know that they would want to seek your forgiveness and to see this relationship restored. So if 24 hours goes by, I'm going to reach out to you. And if you haven't done it, I just want you to know that I love you so much that I'm going to move in and initiate that conversation and share with that person what you shared with me so we can get in the same room and deal with this conflict because it is that important. And unity and peace will not exist apart from us taking those steps. And when we do that, we serve each other really, really well. And over time, initially that may not sound fun, but over time you will see that's the most loving thing that someone can do. And you'll go back. That person will come back and thank you um, for doing that. And the other way that we would remove a burden is by lovingly um, addressing blind spots that would exist in someone's life. And so uh, I met my wife back uh, in November of 2003, the day before Thanksgiving at Dixie Dance Hall in Beaumont, Texas. Just a little tidbit of information. BC Days, disqualifier there. I wouldn't recommend the dance hall as a place to go look for your future spouse. But anyway, I saw Lindsay there, and brown, beautiful brown-eyed girl, and I walk up and She's going to engage in a conversation with her, and I say, so, you come here often? <laughs> I don't think I said that. Uh, but we start talking and engaging in a conversation, and she says, uh, I'm like, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? She says, well, I'm leaving tomorrow morning to go deer hunting with my dad. And I got down on one knee. <laughs> I said, will you marry me? Not right then, but shortly thereafter, I did. And we were full steam ahead, moving towards marriage. And then she comes to me with another big revelation. And she had decided um, that she was going to become a vegetarian. And so if you've never heard of a real life bait and switch, that was a bait and switch. But it's okay because I didn't marry her because of what she ate because she's a lovely, God-fearing woman. And, uh, so, but I lived, Lindsay uh, was a vegetarian for 11 years. She has since come back to the land of meat. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, Amen. But over the course of 11 years, uh, she ate a lot of salad, a lot of different kinds of salad, uh, different kinds of leafy greens. But there's one particular kind of salad that I learned a lot about, and that's a spinach salad. It was probably her favorite. And what I learned about spinach is that more than any other leafy green, it has a unique quality of sticking itself to one's teeth. Okay? And so this would happen quite often to my wife who is here first service, so she knows everything I'm about to say. Uh, but what would happen early on in our relationship is she'd be eating a salad and she'd give some spinach stuck there. And I was like, I'd see it. So her beautiful smile, you know, we're talking and she eats. And then I'm like, whoa, something's there. But I didn't want to embarrass her. Like we're still trying to figure this thing out. And I didn't want to embarrass her or hurt her feelings. And so I made the wisest decision any man could make in this circumstance. I ignored it. But then I quickly found out that that was not a wise decision because at some point, either when we got home or later in the evening, she would walk in front of a mirror and realize that something had been in her teeth. And so she would come to me and she would say, Tyler, why didn't you tell me that I had spinach in my teeth? When you tell me that you have spinach, you tell me that you love me because you don't let me walk around with something in my mouth that causes people to shrink back when I smile. And so I very quickly learned that whenever that happens, which is casually and as uh, inconspicuously as possible, just give her the old. And uh, most of the time, she would check the wrong side, and so I'd have to go to the other side of my mouth and <laughs> give her a little bit here, and then she'd eventually, she'd eventually get it out. Uh, and, and look, you know, I, it, 
it may have been mildly embarrassing for like in a group of people, so I try to do where, can't, where others can't see, but, uh, but it wouldn't, it's not kind. It is not kind to let people walk around when something is uh, going on with them that calls, uh, causes others to kind of repulse back a little bit whenever they see it. And what we're talking about as it relates to conflict is not spinach, okay? It's funny. That's, that story is funny, but it's not funny. When you see anger or bitterness or resentment, or apathy, or pride, or insecurity, or any other number of things affecting someone's life that causes everyone around them to shrink back from them. It's not loving. You will be telling them that you love them by coming in with gentleness and kindness, addressing the thing that's going on in their life that is causing a destruction in their relationships. And in doing so, you are serving them in a way that will help them grow and become more like Christ. And so conflict is an opportunity for us to serve others by both removing burdens from them or carrying burdens with them um, and then lovingly addressing uh, blind spots. And then the last way that conflict is an opportunity that we need to change um, our perspective to see is that conflict uh, is an opportunity to grow yourself. Conflict is an opportunity for you to personally grow to become more like Christ. Because what can be certain is in almost every single circumstance, because we are all not yet perfect, there is something for us to learn and something for us to grow from in every single situation of conflict. Every single time, there's an opportunity for us to grow. For the longest time, I didn't grow at all. I continued to deal with conflict in such a way that was destructive to every relationship around me because I was prideful and insecure and unwilling to admit my own faults. I'm an achiever by nature, which means to a, to a fault, um, I try to do a lot of things and accomplish a lot of things because it fuels my self-worth of who I am as a person. And when it came to conflict, if I acknowledged that I had failed or if I acknowledged that I was imperfect, it was a direct threat to how I viewed myself and valued myself as a person. And I am, would suspect that you, in certain ways, your own insecurities and faulty senses of who you are, of where you draw your worth from, affect a little bit of your crazy that causes you to deal with conflict in a way that is destructive and not helpful. But here's how it changed for me and is still changing for me, is understanding the gospel. By saying that I believe and agree with the gospel is acknowledging that, hey, I am imperfect. I am in a lot of ways. So I don't have to hide it. But in spite of my imperfections, I have a Savior and a Father who are perfect and who love me. And who want me to continue to grow to reflect the character of who they are in my life. And in all of my imperfections, it doesn't change how they view me. I'm not contingent on looking to other people for their approval. And so therefore... I can acknowledge and admit when I'm not perfect. I can own my part when it comes to conflict. And in doing so, in owning my part and saying, I'm not perfect, I need to grow here. You know what happens? You start to grow. And you start to look to people to come alongside you to help you to pursue an abiding relationship with Christ, to learn who he is, to have his spirit change who you are so that you become a blessing to other people and not a burden. But here's, here's a kicker for you. If you're not willing to admit that you have a part to play, you will not grow. 
every relationship in your life will continue to suffer if you're not willing to say, I have a part to play in this. And I want to own it because I see this as an opportunity for me to grow. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James says, Consider it all joy whenever you experience trials of any kind, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what he's saying is, hey, we can, we can have a, a joyful attitude when it comes to conflict and owning our part in it because we know that in doing so we have an advantage. That advantage is that if we persevere in resolving conflict, dealing with our own stuff, that, uh, that we will become more like Christ in the process, which means we'll have less conflict in the future and we'll deal with con- conflict in the future in a way that is a blessing to other people. Um, here's, uh, here's what nobody has, has ever said or ever done. I don't know that anybody ever gets to the very end of their life where there are unresolved conflicts where there are broken relationships and they say, I'm so glad I never restored that relationship. It doesn't happen. There is no joy in living in disunity with other people. And in a a moment of clarity, unfortunately, too often it comes at the end of our life, we realize that, hey, I should have done something differently. I should have been willing to reconcile this conflict. I should have been willing to own my part um, and to do so. And I am convinced that the arena of conflict resolution has been the single greatest contributor to my growth um, in being more like Jesus Christ. And today, uh, nine years later from that person walking into my office and telling me that I'm the most unapproachable person they'd ever met and not having a single relationship that I would have said was a healthy, thriving, lasting relationship. I now have a life that is thriving and overflowing with amazing relationships with people who we are walking together that's not free of conflict in any way, shape, or form, but has conflict in the midst of it, and we are helping each other in a way that's glorifying God, serving each other, and helping me to continue to grow. And um, Not long ago, I was uh, reading a book uh, that was helpful to me. And uh, my friend Newly Spikes walks into my office and he sees it on my desk. And the book was called Courageous Leadership. And, and he says, uh, he just kind of sees it at a glance and he says, uh, are you reading a book called Courteous Leadership? And I, laughed. I said, no, it's called Courageous Leadership and delivering in truth in only a way that Newly can. He said, well, maybe you should find one that's about courteous leadership. <laughs> and he's right, because I'm still imperfect. And I still need to continue to grow in the same way that you do. But you're not going to grow if you're not willing to own your part and admit that, that you need more of Jesus um, in your life. And so whether you have a conflict that's 100% your fault or 1% your fault, be willing to own your percent and learn from it and grow from it every single time with an attitude of joy, knowing that when you do that, um, it's going to help you grow to be a person whose life reflects more of the message of the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. And so conflict is an opportunity um, for us to grow um, ourselves. And, uh, and so in this, you may be uh, saying like, okay, I agree with you. You may give me that. You may agree with me. That, that conflict can be an amazing opportunity, a constant opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and grow yourself. But you, then you may be saying, but I still don't want to do it. I, I still wouldn't enjoy it. Why is that? Well, let's just all acknowledge that's because it's hard. Like, no matter how we see it, 
whether it's this amazing, joyful thing or uh, a great opportunity, it is going to be hard. But you know what? It's worth it. The, uh, probably the most quoted verse at Watermark is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, which says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's worth it because the outcome of dealing with conflict in, in a way that is glorifying to God is that the outcome of that is, is peace and unity. Peace and unity and a reflection of the gospel that's going to cause other people around you to say, hey, like, how do you live this particular way? That word diligence is the word agon, which means to agonize, constant, painstaking effort towards a common goal. And uh, you could just think about um, working out, right? And so working out, uh, everybody, I think, would say, hey, I'd love to be a little bit more healthy. And we all talk about things that we could do to get healthy. We, we, we buy health club memberships that we never use, and so it's more like a monthly donation than an actual health club membership. There's, uh, we look at catalogs, we read articles, we uh, covet other people who are healthier, and we can do all of these things. But until we actually put in the hard work, to buy healthy food, to eat healthy, to go to the gym, to work out, to do all these things, doesn't matter how much we agree with it, until we actually put it into practice, we'll never be healthy. We've got to put in the work in order to experience the outcome. And in the same way with conflict, I think everybody would desire to have a life that's full of joy and peace and unity in their relationships. But I want you to know that you will never experience that unless you are willing to consistently put in the hard work to resolve conflict with one another. And so here, um, here's just a summary. It's just, hey, conflict is a constant opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow ourselves. But here's the application. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Uh, acknowledge. Acknowledge or identify the relationships in your life where conflict currently exists. That's an easy first step, right? I'm not asking you to do much. Just say, hey, there, I'm admitting that, that conflict exists in this relationship. And then the second part, maybe a little bit harder for you, um, own your part. So literally, if you, you may have one name or you may have 50 names of people, of relationships where conflict exists. And what I really am, what I'm asking you to do is to sit down with a journal or a notepad and underneath every single person's name, I don't want you to write anything about them, but I want you to write, hey, what is your part to own? In, the, in that conflict, in that relationship, okay? Sometimes, right, whenever it comes to owning our part, we have a hard time doing so. Like we, have you ever noticed how people can't smell their own house? Or like how you, you walk into other, some people's houses and it smells like delightful, like, oh man, it smells like cookies in here every time I come in. Or other people's houses, you know, anybody know only like pet owners that keep their, their pets inside and you walk in and you're like, man, I wish they could smell their own house. So I can say that because I'm a pet owner of three dogs and we keep our dogs inside. So I feel like I'm clear there. But people can't smell their own house and sometimes we can't smell our own house and we need people to say, hey, bro, it's time to mop, right? And so whenever it comes to dealing with uh, trying to figure out your, your own part in a conflict, if you're having a hard time, like, hey, I don't think I have a part to own here. I promise you, if you invite other people who you're doing life with into that and say, hey, can you help me understand here what's my part to own in this? I promise you, they're smelling what's going on in your house that's not helpful to others. And they can help you identify what's your part to own. So own your part. And then the next one is just prepare. Uh, prepare your heart to go and be reconciled. 
So I don't want you to necessarily take any action towards that yet unless you're ready to take that step. The next two weeks, we're going to be diving in specifically to what does God's word call you to do? What kind of wisdom does God give you in terms of when to go and resolve conflict, how to go and resolve conflict? But do these three things this week. Acknowledge where conflict exists, um, own your part, and then prepare your heart um, to go and be reconciled by viewing this conflict or those conflicts as an opportunity to glorify God to serve others, um, and to grow yourself. So let's pray and ask that God would help us in that now. God, thank you so much that, that you're amazing and that you, you didn't tell us that you were unwilling to come to us unless we came to you. You didn't tell us that you would only go so far in pursuing us to restore the conflict that exists between us and you, but God, that you came all the way that you came all the way and you gave your everything to restore this. And in doing so, God, you, you have given us an example to follow on how to be peacemakers in this world and how to deal with conflict in such a way that other people will want us to, to move in and to help them because, because the way that we do it is with kindness and gentleness in a way that serves them and helps them grow. And then, God, I just specifically pray this morning that for those in here who whose seats may be burning a little bit because they know that there are relationships in their life that just aren't right. God, I pray specifically that you would help them, that you would put your heavy hand of conviction on them, that they would not be able to sleep with peace until they commit their heart to go and be reconciled. And that in doing so, God, I pray that you would increase the health of this church and the way that it reflects um, who you are and that people would want to look at the people here and say, hey, I want to know who your Jesus is and we'd be able to tell them. But God, we're not going to be able to do any of this um, apart from you. And so I pray that even this morning and that over the course of the next couple of weeks as we continue to dive into this topic, God, that you would change our hearts completely, that you would change who we are, that you would restore relationships and that you would give us the opportunity um, to trust you. And so we love you. We thank you. We continue to stand and worship you now. Amen.